The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right, so we are in uh, John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the woman at the well, but before we do that, I just need to ask a few of you a couple questions, and uh, who can I pick on? I'll pick on Candy, because she's right here. Okay, so you weren't raised in church, right? I was. You was raised in church. Oh, I didn't know this. I don't want to talk to you, you wild thing, you. You rebel. And you weren't raised in church, were you? Well, I was raised Catholic. You was raised Catholic. Okay, that'll work. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so just this ties in to where we're going to be going. But okay, before you came to faith in Christ, what, in a general way, what was your big idea about God? What was your belief? I believe there was a God but I wasn't sure if he was actively involved in my life, and I certainly didn't want to follow him. I mean, I wanted to live life the way I wanted to live. I wanted to make my own mistakes, um, not learn from <laughs> anybody who had more smarts than me. Um, that was pretty much what my life was. So what did, what did you think about uh, death? I didn't and think... Life after death. Or... I didn't think about death. Um, when you're a young person, you think you're going to live forever, you know, you think you can do whatever you want and, and no consequences, uh, that I put my life in danger. But there were a few times I did and God actually let me know that he saved me from that. So I knew that he existed. Uh, I just didn't want to obey him. Okay. He definitely showed me several times where I put my life in danger and that he actually rescued me from that. Okay. What about you, Tim? Uh, I don't know what your background is, for sure. But what did you believe about God before you came to faith in Christ? Well, we both, you know, grew up a couple of blocks from each other. We, you know, had the same type of background, so you know, it was quite similar in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, I, I, I always had a, a belief in God, also that He was there. I mean, I. I thought of the afterlife, but it was something I didn't really have any understanding of, so I, it was, it was a long, long time before I really came to the full understanding of who he was and, and on what, uh, what he did for all of us, and, but, yeah, as a young person, no, it was, it was, you know, all for one and one for all, kind of let's go and have fun, you know. But at the end of the day, we all know that uh, there's consequences to all those things. And, and he brings that uh, truth to us in, in so many ways. But, yeah. Okay. Okay, so Larry, now you were raised in church, right? So you had a different background. So, you know, growing up, what was your belief system in God? What, what did you believe? What were you taught? Well, I grew up, let me take these off. I grew up on the uh, mission field. My parents were missionaries. So I grew up believing in God and believing pretty much what my parents taught me. You know, when, when, you, when you grow up in a strong Christian home, 
when you're young, you pretty much believe what your parents tell you. So I believe there's a God, and I believed in heaven and hell and um, eternal life, eternal life, and all that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was uh, kind of hoping that Robert was going to be here because he was raised up in a, with a Hindu background. And uh, his belief system and what they believe, very different. And I think that we're going to see that as we walk through this story with the woman at the well. I, I want to kind of remind us that the Gospel of John, John has a very specific purpose in writing, and like all the other writers, but he states it. And I've made comments several times, but I just really want to bring it into focus again because it's really some building blocks to think about as we're looking at the gospel of John. So he says, you know, there were lots of things that Jesus did. There were lots of miracles, which he calls signs. And he says, but I've written about these. And there are seven or eight specific signs that John wrote about. And he wrote about them specifically to indicate that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was a Messiah, and that by believing in them, you, by believing in them, you would find life in his name. And so the first miracle that we talked about that Jesus did was a changing of water to wine, which speaks of transformation. And the next thing Jesus does, and we're going to look at this because every miracle that takes place, there are encounters and teachings of Jesus that occur after that only to focus back on this main point of the miracle. And so the main point of the miracle is transformation. There's need of change. We see that with the next thing that happens is Jesus clears the temple he goes into Jerusalem. Basically, this is not the way it needs to be. This needs to change. The next person he encounters is Nicodemus, a religious leader who should have things right and doesn't. And Jesus basically says to him, I have come to bring change. And we see eternal life, this idea of transformation. He's talking to Nicodemus about the earthly and the heavenly. The next person, the next one-on-one -on -one encounter he has is with this woman at the well, very different than Nicodemus. And he talks about the same thing, this idea of transformation. And we're going to just kind of look at this as we go through this accounting. And, you know, I've been using this word a lot, in uh, accounting. Because sometimes when you say, well, here's the story, what do you think about when you think about story? You know, it could be true, could be false. But when you read through Scripture and what is recorded, they are accountings of what took place. And so this is not just a story to try to teach some moral value. This is an accounting of what took place. And this accounting with the woman at the well, with following Nicodemus, just emphasizes John 3.16. God so loved the world, so he first comes, and his first one-on-one -on -one is with the Jew, someone that, the child of God that should have had a relationship. The next one he encounters is a Samaritan woman, and we're going to get into that, just, not just that she was a Gentile, but the type of woman that she was, and how Jesus encounters her. And so 
there's a lot of contrasts, I guess, if you were to look at that, that, look at it in this way between Nicodemus and this woman of Samaria. Uh, Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus, we know that he came to Jesus by the cover of night. This woman at the well was at high noon. It was right in the brightness of the light. Nicodemus was devoutly religious and for the most part was accepted by the people. This woman, however, was, many would say, a very immoral woman and would, would have been a shunned woman, not even just by the Jews, but probably by her own people. Uh, Nicodemus was a learned theologian, and this woman you would call, in the time, she would have been an uneducated peasant. You know, we use terms like that today, and it's pe people get freaked out when you use terms like that, but in, in the reality of trying to understand who Jesus went to, uh, I think it's, so, it's, it's going to be so important for us. So Nicodemus recognized, initially recognized Jesus as a teacher, and this woman had no idea who Jesus was. Nicodemus would have been wealthy. She would have been poor. He would have been on a social status. He would have been kind of here, and the woman would have been here. So, and how often is it that it is almost like we, we kind of have our own, um, I don't know how I want to say this, we kind of, we kind of, we, we really have to work against, and especially in our culture today, because it's really trying to influence to try to divide us and bring sharp division, uh, we really got to be careful that we are uh, not doing this with people. Seeing this person here and this person here, I think Doug has been mentioned that the ground around the cross is flat, right? No matter the social, religious, or your ethnicity, in God's eyes, we are all humanity and we are in need of salvation. So Nicodemus, he was in need of salvation. The woman at the well was in need of salvation. The world around us, no matter how we view it, and this is interesting because the people would have viewed Nicodemus as having it right, and Jesus said, no, that's really not the reality. So sometimes even in our judgments, our judgments can be, you know, we can classify people, but it's really dealing with each individual's heart as far as where they are. So let's read in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees has heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, he was not, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. And so he left and he went back once more to Galilee. Now it says, verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. Now I'm kind of interested in uh, some of your translations. What do your translations read, verse 4? Mine says he had to go through Samaria. Some other translations different? Shout it out. He had to pass. Somebody else? He needed to go. I know there are some translations say that it was necessary or there was a need of Jesus going through Samaria on his way back to Galilee. So kind of we're going to keep that in our head. Verse 5 and 6 says, So 
he came through a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, just sometimes in a casual reading, uh, we don't note details. And I don't know for you how often it is you're reading like me. Sometimes I'll read and then I'll just miss a lot of stuff because I, I'm not reading slow enough. And I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just not thinking as I'm reading. So he mentions, uh, he mentions this place. And this place is in Samaria. It's the city of Sakar, And it's about halfway between Jerusalem and Nazareth. And it's a, at the base of Mount Gerizim and also Ebal. So this is the place, this is an area right before the Jordan, before uh, the, the land that God had promised Israel. So here is this um, place that's right at the base of this mountain of Gerizim, which the Samaritans, the people of Samaria, to Samaria claimed that this was the true center of worship of God. Right here, this is where you worship God. And this is where, the same place, this is where Moses led the children of Israel. And it was before they went into the promised land. They all gathered there. So if you could picture it, this long, um, maybe a plateau that leads down into a valley into the Jordan. And behind were two mountains. Gerizim and Ebal. And God led the children of Israel there, and he said this to uh, Moses. He said, proclaim this to the children of Israel. Proclaim the blessings of God. Proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings of following God, and on Mount Ebal the curses if you do not follow God before crossing into the land. And so I made comment about this the other day. There was this, um, God was trying to explicitly, this huge object lesson that we have, that God is saying, there are blessings that follow those that follow me, and those that don't follow me, that's no bueno. (laughs) It's just not a good situation. Where you, where, and even, let me just back up a bit, some of us, I mean, all of us can struggle in believing. Uh, all of us can stumble in a lot of different ways. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about those who defiantly decide, I'm going to go do what I want, how I want, and I don't really care about the consequences. Well, for those of us that have ever done that, uh, you do care about the consequences, but not really until they arrive. And uh, you care more about them once you pass them. It's a learning moment, a teaching moment for you to say, oh, yeah, okay, that, that's, uh, that's the real deal. God does discipline his children. And so this place is also the place where Jacob, when he came in, when God first called uh, Jacob into this land, he went to the same place. And when he got to this place, he bought a parcel of ground from the people that were there. And when he bought the parcel of ground, he had a lot of people, he had a lot of herds, and he bought the land, he dug a well for himself, his people, and his flocks. And this place also is, we learn that before Jacob dies, he gives this 
parcel of ground here where this well is to his son Joseph. And remember Joseph, you know, he was the one that God used to uh, bless Israel and Egypt. And at the end of Joseph's life, uh, he instructs the children of Israel, look, when I die, it's going to be a while, but after I die, what I need you to do is I need you to carry my bones up out of Egypt and I need you to bury them here in this place. This place was also the place where Joshua read all the law before the people, before they crossed into the, into the promised land. So the reason I'm bringing all this to bear is because this place had significance. And it had significance for the people that live there. I think it was, uh, Doug was talking about, who's the guy that went in the water? Jonah. Was it Jonah? Yeah, Jonah. <laughs> so, um, and where is, where is the place, where was that place at? Uh, the, the land. It was where Jonah was from. Uh, Jonah, Jonah went to Nineveh, right. and so there is a monument there, it was, a tell, and the people of the land said that is the tell of Jonah, we remember. So keep, keep this in mind, because you might come, and, or know people that come from very different backgrounds that are raised in other regions of the world, and the place has significance. It has significance religiously, morally, for them in their own life. And so we are in, you know, the world's flat, and so we encounter a lot of people from a lot of places that have a lot of belief systems. And their belief systems because come because a lot of where they lived and how they were raised. Me, and like some others in here, you never were raised in church, didn't know anything about God. And so you lived your life a particular way. Now this woman from Samaria would have embraced certain, now I'm not saying that she was all in, but she would have embraced certain things and had certain belief systems. And so the place where she's from had an impact. And the teachings and the people around would have had an impact on her belief system. So I think that's interesting. So that's one of the places, one of the things we need to keep in mind. John is being specific about where this was. Second thing is, is John is being specific that to mention that Jacob's well was there. Now, why would that have any bearing? And the, the only the thing that comes to me is this well was about a half a mile outside the city. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, I could ponder on this and I could have my own thoughts. And maybe I just want to plant this in your head. Jesus goes to the place of blessing. He goes back to a place of promise. He goes back to Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's almost like he's going back to some roots almost, to this place, this well. And he's speaking to this woman there. And when, they get, when he gets to this well, it says that Jesus, I think it's important, it says that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And to me, just speaks of Jesus' humanity. 
so often we don't think that Jesus' ministry was based out of his humanity, not his divinity. Let me explain. So Jesus is, what he's doing and his following God is setting an example for us that he was in the form, he was in human form, and he he had to face all the things that we face, yet he did not sin. He, he, he was, so this is one of many where it just kind of shows the human side of Jesus, so he, he's wearied. See, Jesus' ministry was not, um, how, how do I want to say it, was not uh, portrayed from his divinity, but he was enabled to do what the Father wanted him to do. And so, He's empowered by the ministry of the Holy Spirit just like we can be and should be. And then the last detail, I think, that maybe to keep in mind is that it was the sixth hour. So I think that one of the things in this that I see more than anything is God's providence. I mean, this was not a chance encounter that this woman had with Jesus. Being the sixth hour, we understand that it would have been at noon. Now, noon is not the time you go to collect water at a well. It's the hottest part of the day. Usually, they happen early in the morning or later in the afternoon. So again, this just think of the providence of God that Jesus would meet this woman at the well while his disciples were gone to have this encounter with this woman. Maybe it was that he was alone with her because she would have been intimidated by a bunch of men. I don't really know, but it's really is. Uh, I, I think I made comment once with uh, Philip. He is, uh, he's preaching somewhere. Uh, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's, going, he's on a road somewhere. I'm trying to remember how we're on the road he's to, going to. And Spirit of God speaks to him and says, go up next to that uh, chariot and I want you to ask the guy what he's reading. So that's kind of strange, right? Here, here Philip is in the middle of nowhere in between two cities and he's talking and the Spirit of God talks to him to ask a specific question to this man, which we know the whole thing ends up being, he's reading Isaiah, he begins to share Christ, the guy gets baptized, which makes a huge difference later in the history of that. Uh, is it Ethiopia makes a huge difference uh, where he goes. But this divine encounter. And so often we need to realize all the divine encounters in our life. Look, if you're somewhere and you're, you're, uh, God has got you next to somebody that has no idea about Jesus, chances are uh, it's really not by accident. Chances are it's really divine providence. And so here Jesus at noon goes to the well. This woman who you don't go out at noon, she's there. And he has this opportunity to minister. Now, another thing I think that's important to think about, uh, Jesus is meeting this woman, and there are four things that could have been obstacles in this encounter with Jesus and the woman. Uh, maybe you could call them maybe four invisible walls that stood between them. First, there was a religious wall. There was a gender wall. There was a racial wall. 
and there was a moral, moral wall, if you think about this. The reason I'm bringing all this out and I'm slowing down to give us kind of a big look at this is because here we are today. And often we encounter, there are, maybe not by us, but just socially, there are walls that we encounter. There are people, there are religions, there are situations that can just divide us. They're, they're just right here. So this religious wall. So Jesus was a Jew, and he worshipped Jehovah God only. Now this woman, she was a woman of Samaria, and they worshipped many gods, which we'll get to in, in a bit. So they have these different beliefs. The second one is a gender wall. Women, you should be glad you live in the United States of America instead of some other parts of the world. Because there are just other parts of the world where your property, uh, you don't have a say, you do what you're told, you, you have to be, you are submissive to males around you. We see it in a lot of countries today. I'm sure some of you have been to other parts of the world where that is very true. A woman doesn't even go out into the world uh, not accompanied by her husband. A woman doesn't talk to a man. And so there is this gender wall that is there. Jesus encounters her, and it's like taboo to talk to a woman. And Jesus being a Jew and her being a Samaritan, which we'll get into, was taboo, so to speak. So, next there was this racial wall. And this is important for us to know. The Samaritans were, they were a remnant of people in the land from the Assyrian and Babylonian conquest of Israel. So, what happened is when Assyria and Babylon... Um, they began to conquer the world and say they would go into country after country conquering the countries. And both of the kingdoms, Assyria and Babylon, did this. They would go in and just say they're going into Edom. They would go into Edom, they would conquer Edom, and they would take the bulk of the people, the most of the people out of Edom, they would take them out of there, they'd divide them up and put them in a they would put some in Assyria, they'd put some in Babylon, they'd put some in Moab, they'd put, they would divide them all up. And so when Babylon specifically invaded Israel, they did that. They took the majority of the Jews out of the land and they put in people from other nations there. And so over time what took place is all these other nations are living together and they begin to intermarry which we know is not a good thing if you're Jewish, because the Jewish, you weren't supposed to intermarry. You weren't supposed to marry uh, from other nations, from other belief systems. And so, let me, let me I, I put a note in here. Okay, um, so there was this mixture that was there. And then later what we find is when, uh, so Israel's dispersed into Babylon and when um, 
through Ezra and Nehemiah, God allowed the Jews to come back in the land and help them rebuild the temple. When they go to rebuild the temple, some of the people from this land who were intermarried wanted to help them rebuild the temple. They say, hey, we believe like you. And they go, yeah, you don't have any part with us. You are unclean, and which caused a hostility. So why is it important for us to know this as we're looking at the woman at the well? Because we need to understand culturally what it looked like. And why is it important for us today? Because culturally it can look so, there can be so many walls. Culturally, we are in a, the same place in a lot of scenarios that we find ourselves in. But what we need to look at and what we need to see and what we need to understand is that when Jesus comes on the scene, the first thing he does is he talks about the need of transformation and the first person he goes to is to a Jewish priest and talks to him about transformation. The next thing he does is he has a one-on-one -on -one with a woman whom I just spelled a lot about that was so different, that could have been such a wall that, that the Jews just despised, Jesus went to. Not just that she was a Samaritan, but she was a woman of Samaria. And not just that she was a woman of Samaria. She'd been married five times, and the person that she was with was not her husband. Now just pause and let that cook a little bit. How often is it? I know. So, so, so like, okay, like she's like a lost cause. I can't tell you how many people after I became a believer and ended up pastoring a church that I went to high school with came to the church and go, I'd have never believed it. I just wrote you off. There was no reason for me to talk to you. You were so belligerent. You were so far out of the way, there's no way. And so sometimes we can just write people off. Here, here's let's, current reality. Uh, we see it all the time. Uh, you can come up against a lot of people uh, acting and believing a particular way that automatically could put a lot of barriers up between you and them. But what we need to see is it didn't negate God's heart toward who? Humanity. Humanity. And just as some uh, in here, some of us in here have different belief systems and we were way off in a lot of ways. Why are you here today? Well, Jesus came to you. Jesus approached you. So there's this moral law, or this moral wall. So here's Jesus is Jesus. I mean, he's the son of God. He knew no sin. And again, here's this woman who is, in the Jewish eyes, unclean, and again, been married five times. It wasn't that just she would have been shunned by the Jew, but... Many say, when you read, and whether exactly if it's accurate, the woman came to the well at noon because she didn't want to go to the well in the morning or evening when all the other ladies would have been there and they would have, and they would have 
uh, she would have had to deal with them. You know, I mean, how many women, think about this, ladies, uh, you are, it's you and your husband, and you have this great relationship, and all of a sudden, uh, who moves in next door is the woman that's been married six times. And she starts chatting up your husband. I mean, who knows what the scenario would have been, but she possibly also would have been shunned just by her own people. So there is this moral wall that was there. And what I love is that Jesus looked past all of them. And he saw her. This is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son to bring condemnation on humanity. He came to bring rescue. He came to bring hope to humanity. And so, I think that all of these details help us see this larger picture of God's will. And I think it's just hugely important. So Jesus, it said he had to go through Samaria. And he had to go because of this woman. So the nudge of the Spirit of God on Jesus' life to you have to go here. And he does. And so I think it emphasizes also Luke 19.10, where it says that Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. See, that woman, she wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for her. It was necessary for him to encounter that woman. So let's just, uh, up to this point, any thoughts about all this? We haven't even gotten really into the text, but just all the stuff on the outside. Anybody got any thoughts? Hang on, Keith, let me get to you. Just a couple real quick. I mean, you kind of said it. I mean, that's what I really like about it, too, is that Jesus was looking for her. And I, I really believe, I mean, you mentioned it, but I believe there is no coincidences. That's kind of sounded funny. I believe it's all divine appointments. I believe that oh. God has, like it says in, in uh, what, Ephesians 2.10, Right, that he has work that he had predestined for us to do. I sound really funny, but um, <laughs> I believe that everything is lined up. In other words, there is no accident. When you sit next to somebody and the Spirit of God is telling you to talk to that person, that person's sitting there because God put them there. Right? God put you where you're at to do whatever you do. Um, so I don't believe in coincidences. I believe it's all divine appointments. But yeah, I like the fact that Jesus was looking for her. You know, and I, just like. When they're walking through the town, the lady with the bleeding episode, right? Jesus knew that she was going to... I mean, I believe that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, and he knew that somebody touched him. Not to go to a whole other story, but you know, God is quite aware of what's going on around him. He, he, just like what's happening today, there is no surprises, right? There is no plan B. It's all plan A. Somebody else? Uh, Candy? And then Daria, and then Doug? This isn't exactly probably going to go along with this, but to being um, obedient to what God has to say, uh, I'll tell you a little story about what happened to my sister last week. She is dealing with a husband, 61 years old, 
think he's 61, he'll either be 61 or he's 61, has early onset Alzheimer's, and he's at the point of drooling. He drools. He doesn't open his eyes half the time. He doesn't sit down in a chair. He sits just anywhere. It's, it's, I'm just setting that up to let you know how bad it is. So she was walking out to the garbage can the other day, and he's following her behind her, and he, she's like, Lord, I just can't do this much longer. I, I, I can't handle this. And she gets to the garbage can, and some lady's walking by, and she says, do y'all need help? And Cheryl goes, no, no, we're fine, we're fine. The lady walks on, she, she turns around, comes back, and she says, the Lord just nudged me to pray for you. She says, do you mind? Now, never seen this lady, you know, but she's evidently living in the neighborhood now. Anyway, the lady came back, and Cheryl said, you know, it was just so personal, and the fact that she was obedient, and she says, and I told her that, she says, thank you for being obedient to the Lord, because I needed that today more than you'll ever know. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just a testimony to, to, to be obedient when God calls you to do something. That's good. Up here, Daria. Oh, you can go that way, I guess. Go ahead. Go ahead. All kinds of comments. Did you have it? Go ahead. We'll get I you. I didn't raise my hand, but that's okay. What's oh, fine. you didn't? Well, you just, this is like an auction. You can't do anything. We'll call on you. What came to my mind was uh, the reminder of um, we have such preconceived ideas many times about the culture about this and about that and it's just the reminder of um, we've got to be obedient mm -hmm. no matter what the culture differences are, the spiritual difference, the sins and I've, it's just been brought to my mind lately at, you know, take cookies over to somebody's house that we wouldn't maybe approve of the, what they're doing and everything and just so anyway, it was a good reminder just you, to do it. To you know, you wonder that. about this whole cancel culture thing that we're in. That's just the enemy. Because we know that if I walk into a group and there's a bunch of gay people there, I can draw all kinds of assumptions. But to think that God doesn't love them, that's the wrong assumption for me. And to think that just because they are gravitating toward a particular thing, to think that they're all evil, well, that's a wrong assumption also. I mean, let's just put it on a level playing field before I was saved. I mean, I was a drunken fornicator. So what's the difference? None. If you were a gossip, what's the difference? We, we can't, we, we scale this thing up. And this is what I love about where we are is that, man, a soft answer turns away wrath. What's it look like to love humanity? It's to open up dialogue. It's, it's, to not see, it's to see people the way God sees people. It, they could be living very wrong, and all of us at one point before we came to Jesus, we were sinners, right? We were separated. We were, from what the Scriptures say, we we're at odds with God. He says that an enemy. We are at odds with God. But what did Jesus, what did Jesus want, and what did Jesus do? Yeah, Daria, you got. I just wanted to say that we have to remember that Jesus Jesus came to the world to save the sick, the sinners. And and sometimes we think like Pastor Tracy was talking about because they maybe are 
in a different situation, I can look at higher rank or whatever. We're all people, we're all sinners. And when God gives us the opportunity to talk to someone that needs getting their lives, we should embrace it and rejoice that we're helping others. That's just what I wanted to say. Okay. Doug and then Ann. Wow. Um, yeah, so no matter, I don't think, no matter what map you look at back then or now, if you're on the Jordan River, all you have to do is go straight north to get back to Galilee, right? And instead, he goes west. And it's truly just the Lord, right, inspired. God says, I got a plan for you, right? It, God always says, or Jesus always said, I need to do the will of my Father. And that's the biggest example that we need to take, right? What is the will of my Father? Just go do the will of my Father. Um, take the time to pray. And, and like I said, it's, it's amazing that we go back to back from the teacher of teachers of Pharisees, Nicodemus, uh, the two extremes, I mean, complete extremes, the two people that you know, if they ever talked about each other, it would probably be with a bad tongue, right? Oh, those Pharisees. And he would be like, oh, those Samaritan women who, mm -hmm. you know, all Samaritans are probably like that woman mm -hmm. is probably what he would say, right? Mm -hmm. And she would say the same thing. All you Jews all, are alike. All Jews are pompous, like, mm -hmm. like these guys. And, and it's amazing to me that he goes and tells Nicodemus, transformation is needed. And, and now think about this. You've got somebody who's focused on the Word of God all the time, Nicodemus, right? And you've got somebody who's never focused on the Word of God, this Samaritan woman. So, I mean, the difference there is vast, but the answer is Jesus for both. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I, it, it's amazing to me, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but that he proclaims to her directly more before anybody else, I am the Christ. And they were supposed to be back in Gal Galilee, right? And they end up spending three, four days in Samaria. And how many people get saved? More, more Samaritans get saved before Jews get saved. Mm, that's good. In his ministry. That's good. Ian? I just was thinking about um, the place that God put the Jews. He put them right in this land that everybody had to cross back and forth and back and forth to get to Egypt where they would do a lot of trading. To Babylon. Yeah, yeah. and to Babylon, right? And so um, they were supposed to be a light in the land. They were supposed to be telling people about their mm, God. That's really good. And yet they failed to do that. And the Jews would go to the point where they went completely around the area of Samaria. They would go way out of their way not to cross through that land. I kind of wonder what his disciples thought when he said, we're going to go into Samaria. Mm. And I got, you know, we know that everything he did was divine appointments. You know, he knew he was going to meet this woman at the well. He knew what he was going to share. He knew that people were going to believe in him from the cities of Samaria. And they were part of them were part Jewish. You know, they, they were in that land at one time, um, the 10 tribes. And then because of their disobedience, God let them go and uh, be taken out of the land, but they intermarried, like you were saying, and that was the reason why the Jews would not accept them, is that they considered them to be half-breeds mm -hmm. and not worthy of, of sharing 
God and the light with them. That's good. You know, um, I, it's come across in my mind, I think I've got to say it. Uh, you know, with these walls that were there, uh, there was a racial wall, the general wall, general, uh, 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 gender wall, uh, the moral wall that was there. And I think it's good that we keep in mind that we shouldn't let there be walls, but at the same time, I think this is really important. When Jesus encounters this woman, he says to her, it gets to there when we get, we'll get there in 10, but he says, well, if you knew the gift of God. So, you know, I have friends that say, well, you know, I'm just befriending them. You are. So you're going out and drinking with them and doing all your stuff with them. You're, you're, you're associating, but if you're a believer, you're not there simply to associate. You're there to say, if you knew the gift of God. See, because the people that are lost, we want them to find hope. So if we're there just to be among them and hide our light under a bushel, we're there to say, if you knew the gift of God. So keep that in mind. Doug, did you have something? When you first talked about the walls, I said, you know, all I could think of is the, the kids' song, and the walls came tumbling down, right? Mm. And that's what Jesus does. And to your point just now, the non-believer can't see through the wall, mm. right? So we have to remove the wall so that they can see the light shining, so that they can hear the Word of God. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, let me just, uh, boy, there's a, just a lot here, and this is great conversation. I, I kind of want to, kind of want to, kind of run through a few things so I can uh, kind of put a summation on what I think we need to see. So they go there, and I'll, we'll pick back up on this, but they go there, Jesus enters a conversation with the woman, which was not customary to do. He asked for him to give him a drink, and she basically says, well, who are you to ask me of a drink? I mean, you guys don't even associate with us. And um, uh, it says specifically for the Jews had no dealings with her, but Jesus doesn't even deal with the question. He just moves right past it. And he moves right past it to get to where the situation is. Jesus was going through Samaria. It was a divine encounter. He helped this woman find what she needed to find, and that was salvation, the salvation that God had given. And so he uses this simple thing such as this drink of water. And so when he begins this conversation, uh, he just opens it up to have a dialogue with a woman. And it's interesting to me, this role reversal that takes place. When it first starts, it seems like Jesus is a thirsty one and the woman has the water. But as the conversation continues gone, you can see that really the woman is the one that is lacking and Jesus has what will fulfill her need. And so I think that's really interesting to see. And I, I think so often through Scripture how Jesus takes common, simple things to communicate spiritual truth. You know, the sowing of the seed, uh, the bread of heaven. He takes so many things from common things that we can know and have some understanding about to teach us what we don't know and understand. When I was studying, I don't know, it was a few weeks ago, 
I don't even remember who it was, some commentator says, this is how God does it. He places the cookies on the bottom shelf so that everybody can get to them. In other words, spiritual truth is not as complicated as we think. And Jesus constantly is using simple things that we can relate to to try to help us relate to the things uh, from heaven. And so, again, the Samaritan woman comes to the well. There is this, con- there is this immediate confrontation attitude with a woman like, you know, well, who are you to talk to me? You, you guys are better than we are. Why would you even talk to me? And Jesus, again, just ignores it because he wants to get to where he needs to get and that is this woman's need so as you are and as we are in this world i mean the world may try to you know with this it seems like anybody trying to stand up for anything that has a resemblance of what is right they just get slammed and so it can cause us to be kind of fearful to speak up because of what may happen. And you may get the person will, will, and what do you do at that point? It just ask God for wisdom to find a point of connection, to show some grace, to realize what Jesus realized is that, look, we are all humanity. And for us as believers, the only difference between us and them, those that don't know Christ, is Him, is Jesus. We found Him. And what we need to do, and the example Jesus is setting is that what we need to do is keep that in mind. Yet, but for the grace of God. It was God's grace that reached to me. And I am where I am because of that. And what I want I, I don't want people, that, no matter how much they hate me or live the other way, I want them to find what I found because I used to be like them. And so as we are in this culture and we are engaging the culture that is around us, keep in mind that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now put this in your, in your heart. When you're encountering culture, who is speaking through your life? Who is with you? Who really wants to have a conversation with that individual? It's the God who lives in you. See, Jesus in me is still seeking to save that which lost. Jesus that is in me doesn't see walls. Jesus who is in me sees the real need of all of humanity no matter where they are. In the Jesus that is in me knows what words to use to open the door, to begin a conversation, to help them see what they need to see. Father, I just thank you for your goodness, faithfulness. We are, we are in this world. We have been rescued from the darkness through you. Help us have the grace and the patience and the understanding and enoughness of who you are in our life so that we can allow you access in and through our lives to those that are around us in Jesus' name.